Oh, all right. Oh, I got a, I got emails. I'll be able to get that out of there. Um, welcome to another edition of the Edlo podcast. As I always say, subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. Uh, I am. This is another one I'm super excited about. It's always fun when I get to uh, to talk to people who I am a big fan of, and I have always. So always been a fan of Santino Morella, and I have him right here on the Edlow podcast. Santino, thank you uh, for being willing to come on. It's a pleasure to meet you. Oh, my pleasure, man. It's yeah. always nice to support people that are doing, you know, passion projects and, and trying to yeah. break out and get to the next level and stuff. Yeah, well, that's the thing, man. Like, yeah, podcasting is definitely, definitely a passion project because it takes a lot of work. Uh, to get to the level where even like people like you are willing to come on, and uh, and I've and I've had a lot of luck in the wrestling community and also you know in the in celebrities and stuff. I got a lot of stuff coming up, but this is one I'm excited about because one of the things that's so interesting uh, about you is you have an MMA background, right? But at the same time, you really got over kind of doing comedy, which I'm sure you weren't expecting when you got into the wrestling business. Is that yeah yeah no you're right my when i um i was a big fan of guys like you know uh dynamite kid and chris benoit and dean malenko kurt angle owen mm -hmm. hart like you know real real grapplers right um mm -hmm. i did judo my whole life uh, since i was nine years old you know right through university and i was that was my identity man i was just a judo athlete and oh you know so it kind of helped the transition into pro wrestling but yeah, I wasn't. Um, I'm a funny guy naturally, you know, class clown, that kind of thing, you know. Always getting my, my mouth getting getting me into trouble. But uh, I didn't think that was going to be the way I wrestled for sure. But mm. when Santino first came on the scene, he was he was pretty much force fed to the people, mm. and mm. you know, as you know, wrestling fans do not like to be force fed. So they were like on the verge of turning on the on the guy. So. Um, I became a bad guy, and then just with the accent that I put forward, and, and uh, as soon as I turned bad guy, it became funny. Yeah, and and now you know, thank God, because uh, that's how I was able to stay there for ten, for ten years. Uh, you, you have to make one person laugh, and that's Vince, you know. And and uh, Vince thought the character was funny, and so I'm told, and uh, that's why I had that that decade career. Well, and that was the thing. I mean, I remember I was watching live in Milan when you went over on Umaga. Mm -hmm. And uh, that was interesting for me, just kind of being around the wrestling business. What I found really interesting about that was you were a fan. I mean, the, the angle was you were just a fan in the crowd and you won the Intercontinental, Intercontinental Championship first night. But it had to be, you know, you had the help of Bobby Lashley and you kind of got squashed right before you won. And how did you feel about the way they put the belt on you? Obviously, I'm sure you're like, oh, they're putting the belt on me day one. Like, that's great. You know, but how did you feel about the angle? Uh, I was, I mean, I knew from the get-go how, like, unbelievably fortunate this is. Right. So I wasn't going to be... Well, I wish I could have beat him fair and square. I was like, you know, nobody, a guy from the audience, right? You know, right. And, and if and if you and if you destroy Umaga, or even have a competitive match, um, it just discredits Umaga. And now I have to, you know, now it, it was done right. It was actually done right. You know, they had to use Bobby Lashley, and it protected Umaga. And then it just gave me this opportunity where I'm just thrust into the spotlight. And I was still pretty green at the time, to be honest. Uh, I fast-tracked my mm -hmm. wrestling career. Like 2003, I had my first match. All of 2004 was in Japan. 2005, and when I was in Japan, I was doing like work shoot kind of MMA style wrestling. Yeah. And then I go to OVW in 2005, and I'm learning in 2005 how to lock up, how to run the ropes. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I trained super hard, you know, multiple times per day. And I got signed in 06. So over a year after I got to OVW, that was a year and a uh, year and a half, just say roughly. And then I got signed. And then uh, I had to go home, get my, my visa because I'm Canadian. Mm -hmm. And then when I came back, I think I came back in like uh, November or December of 06. Mm -hmm. And then the holidays. And then April 16th is um, 
I debuted in Milan as Santino. So I was like, you know, I had been signed for like, you know, five months-ish. No, I got signed in August, but it was like two or three months at home to get your visa. Right. So I came back in November. So I, I'd been on on the OVW house show loop for like four months, mm-hmm. five months maybe. And yeah. Uh, yeah, so I was very green when I got called up. But, you know, sometimes it's okay to be green as long as you have the instinct and you can yeah. bring things to life in a particular manner that just engage people. And I guess I had that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and tell me, did you, were you always kind of performative or did that kind of just develop as you wrestling career developed? Yeah. No, when I was younger, like in high school and stuff, I would like lead the pep rally and I did oh. some, uh, some, a little bit of acting work in university, you know, just, I was always drawn to entertainment for sure. Mm. Even the school plays as a kid and, and mm. at MC so <laughs> at some nightclubs sometimes just, just <laughs> anything to get a microphone in my hands, you know? Nice. But, uh, and then when you boil that all down, so all this showmanship and, and judo and put it together, it's kind of pro wrestling, you know, you gotta have, right. um, and it's funny. So when I was in university, I was on the national judo team for Canada mm. and, uh, the, the, the head sensei at the time, sensei Nakamura, he was always like, you're going to be a comedian when you're grow up. you're going to be a comedian. I'm like, what? I'm not going to be a comedian. And it's funny because, you know, I wasn't a comedian per se, but I was the comedic component of the programming. So Sensei Nakamura, he, he saw something and he called it. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. And and so how long did it take you? So, I mean, I, I you know, like it's, I told you off air, you know, I know Johnny Jeter real well. And I know he, you know, you guys know each other because he was he was coming up same time uh, around the same time as you. Little, and, a little before me, but, but which is when I got there, he was like. He was the man. Yeah. Johnny's a great guy. I mean, like, you know, if we were put anybody over, uh, Johnny, I mean, he's such a nice guy. You know, I've trained a lot of different places, but training with him at Manicor here, you know, he lives in Cameron Park, which is a little bit outside of Sacramento. And uh, he just, he cares about everybody. He wants everybody to succeed, but he also doesn't put up with garbage. I mean, he, he the way he teaches, he teaches the way that Dr. Tom and, you know, uh, all those guys taught, you know, just keep it simple, you know, uh, and, and, uh, you know, he makes you call it in the ring, you know, that type of stuff. And, uh, you know, so it's, it's fun to get, even though I never worked there, it's fun to see where you guys learned. Um, how did that, now, how did the comedy develop for you? Like, did it just, did someone say, Hey, we want to make this a comedy character or did you suggest, Hey, I'm going to start calling people by, you know, not by their names, like, you know, with, with this crazy accent, how did it come about? Well, when I, when I turned into a bad guy, it it became funny. Like the first heel promo I had, I was complaining about the NBA or cheating or, Oh yeah. Someone cheated. I think someone, I was dating Maria and someone cheated to beat her. And and, anyway, and it was funny. And I came back and everyone was like, dude, that was awesome. That was great. And obviously it sent the right message because the next week I had another promo and then the mm-hmm. next week I was doing guest commentary and I actually mm-hmm. separated my shoulder at the time against Umaga on a, on a live event. Mm-hmm. So, uh, because I, you know, there was a little, a little, a little bit of momentum taking place at the time. So, mm-hmm. and I couldn't wrestle because of my shoulder. So I, I got the microphone for like, you know, every week for like six weeks straight. Mm-hmm. And I, I guess some of the, comedic timing was natural. So I grew up in a neighborhood and especially in my high school, mm-hmm. the vast majority, like, I don't know, I'm going to say 80% of the students, their parents immigrated. So mm. they, they were all first generation Canadians. It was mm-hmm. a Catholic school. So Italian, Portuguese, Croatian, Maltese, mm. Polish. Mm. And we had just a handful of, uh, you know, like black kids and Asian kids, not a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, mostly European kids. So all the parents had these accents and mm. all the parents would like, you know, butcher expressions or <laughs> just say things a little. So I had tons of material to, to call up, call from. Um, so even my next door neighbor, like mm-hmm. from my, my, my parents' house growing up, my next door neighbor was son of my gun, Ivan. And mm. every, he, he's always he's a Croatian guy, you know, son of my gun. So, <laughs> You know, I, that's where I got Son of a Gun from. And I, I was always surrounded by 
all this material and you combine uh, it with like 80s sitcom comedy and that's yeah. really the the recipe for santino yeah man that's so great i, I love you know the the best the best gimmicks I found are ones that you draw from real life experience, yeah. you know? And so, and that's what was, that just, that's awesome. Is there somebody in particular that you liked? Cause I mean, there's, there's obviously a lot of like YouTube videos of like Santino breaks, you know, so-and-so Santino breaks other wrestlers, you know, was there somebody who you purposely, like you loved to get to break? Um, I guess it would be some of the more stoic guys like Kane or something. Uh -huh. um, he, he, there's even one video where I'm singing and you can see CM Punk holding back a smile. Mm -hmm. And, you know, those are generally serious guys. Um, uh -huh. Randy Orton. And, and yeah, mm -hmm. no, I, I like messing with everybody. I try and do it now too. I try and break guys. And um, mm -hmm. if I come up with a name for someone, mm -hmm. I won't tell them what I'm going to call them. I'll do it while we're taping it live to try and get them, or at least get um, an, like a, a natural, organic reaction. And it came to the point where we had a meeting, and uh, it wasn't about me, but at the end of the meeting, Vince just added, you know, if you laugh on camera, it's okay. It's like uh -huh. people, people laugh at funny things. So, like, just, you know, don't be mortified and say, can, can we do it again? Just go with it. You know, and and you can address the laughter, and it's that makes it more natural and more organic. So it was kind of like a safety net that was put in place for everybody. Mm. So, <laughs> did you ever have? I, I don't. I've never seen this, but did you ever have any sort of, uh, you know, like face off with like a, a comedic face off with someone like our truth or anybody like that, just to see who could <laughs> who could out out laugh the other, get other one to laugh or anything like that? N not on uh, on screen that I can think of, but. Um, I remember I met, I messed, I messed with our truth once and at, uh, it, it was just him and I, but we, we were doing a speech at the tribute to the troops event. Mm. And mm. there was like a room of like, I don't know, a thousand paratroopers getting ready to go jump. And he does this whole speech, you know, you guys are the real heroes and thank you for everything you do and your sacrifices. And, you know, today's for you. And he gives me the mic and I look at him and I go, how so? And he looks at me, he takes the mic, and he just elaborates, gives me the mic, and I go, how so? And then he kind of looked, and then he's looking at me like, you mother, you know? <laughs> when someone says, how so, it's hard not to to respond to it, right? right. So, I just, so he did like three or four promos in a row, and I just kept saying, how so? And then people caught on, and they were laughing and stuff too. But yeah, he, yeah. He's, but he's funny in real life. That's the difference. <laughs> Santino, <laughs> Santino and Anthony are pretty different, but our truth and our truth on TV are pretty close. Yeah. Um, so now when you, what was your original vision of what you wanted your character to be? And how far off is that from Santino? Yeah, the original vision would have been, uh, you know, I mean, I'm a, at the time when I was there, I was one of the smaller guys. I'm, I'm like five foot ten. And this is before 205 and, you know, like I'm bigger than a cruiserweight, but I'm kind of that medium-sized guy. Yeah. Uh, so I just wanted to be that little, you know, Rocky, man. The guy mm -hmm. keeps getting up, takes a beating, keeps getting up, and just shows heart and, mm -hmm. uh, you know, can eventually win. And even if he doesn't win, he puts in a valiant effort every time. Uh, mm -hmm. that, that's kind of the, you know, the underdog guy. That's kind of what I was going for mentally, how I saw myself, someone who's pretty technical. And I mean, the UFC, the early, early UFCs, they showed, right? Grappling could overcome size advantages yeah. and stuff like that. So yeah. that's kind of where I wanted to go. And, yeah. and, that, and, and that's actually what Vince had in mind, too, to be that, you know, undersized dog that doesn't know he's undersized and just keeps fighting. And, yeah. You know, it's funny you bring up the UFC. I remember the first uh, the first VHS tape yeah. out there that I ever saw was somebody rented UFC 4. And I think the main event was was Severn versus Hoist Gracie. Yeah. And and Gracie tapped out Severn at about 160 pounds. Yeah. And I remember thinking it was actually so it really changed my view. It got me into MMA. You know, I think everybody else, too. Right. Was 
here's this little guy where basically Severin is just on top of him. And it looks like it looks kind of boring. Like nothing's really happening. Severin is just, and then all of a sudden, boom, it's over. You know what I mean? And yeah. you're just shocked by that, uh, that he pulled it off. Um, and so it was it's interesting. Sorry, I didn't mean to jump in, but it's interesting as well because uh, so we do triangle chokes in judo. So before, you know, BJJ blew up, judo guys were like really kind of the only grappler guys around with regards to submissions and triangle chokes and all that stuff. So even though Dan Sever was on top, I remember it clearly. I was in a, a bar in Montreal. That's where I went to university. Like, I forget, the casual sport or something like that. And he's in a triangle choke and Dan Severin's giving him shots. Well, yeah. while, while he's in the triangle choke and everyone thinks twice is getting killed and all of a sudden out of nowhere he does this big you know tap yeah. and everyone's like what the hell just happened and yeah. you know i knew what it was because of because of judo but he was in a triangle choke yeah yeah that's and that was where it really like informed you know people started getting informed about that right and like now now i think people know enough that it's exciting right but back then i remember the guys i was with they're like this is boring like nothing's yeah. going on and then all of a sudden boom it's over and so, um, so that's, yeah, that was awesome. Let me ask you now you've, you've been, I mean, you've been to the mountaintop basically. I mean, you know, you've been the runner up of the Royal rumble. I mean, all, it, you know, you, they did a, an angle in the elimination chamber where it looked like you might actually pull off as a champion. I mean, you've been, you've been all over the place. I mean, even you even, you know, won the women's battle Royal wrestle miss WrestleMania. I mean, you did all that stuff. Right. Yeah. So, so for guys coming up, I mean, what would be like the number one thing, if there's an indie wrestler that's trying to make it that you would say is just the have to, to get to the next level, man. Well, there's a lot, there's a lot of things. Um, you know, you have to look incredible. You have to walk in the door and people go, Holy shit. Who's this guy? Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and you have to be realistic. Like look at yourself in the mirror, man. And mm-hmm. if you don't exude that or have that figure out how to do it, you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Maybe uh, and, and sometimes, if you had a job interview, you know, mm-hmm. you get a fresh fade, you put on mm-hmm. something nice, you know, mm-hmm. you wear some nice shoes, like that. You dress to impress, but it's kind of like you have to dress to impress, like for, for life, you know, because you have to impress the producers, the writers, the, all these guys. If you want to get a job, and you know, your physique tells a lot about you. If you if you're in great shape, it means that you know how to stick to a plan. It means you have self discipline. Means you're knowledgeable about you know, calories in, calories out, all that stuff. So it, 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 it's it's not just, wow, that guy looks good. It tells you so much more. It's a tip mm-hmm. of the iceberg, right? Mm-hmm. And again, as an employee, I go, okay, this guy's disciplined. I want disciplined guys here. I want yeah. guys that can stick to the game plan. And when it sucks, because sometimes it sucks, right? I'm hungry, but you already had your meal and you got to wait two hours. Uh, can you stick to it? Because mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a grueling Physically, a little bit, but mentally, the the road life is is grueling, right? You you live in rental cars and hotels and and and, and venues. Off mm-hmm. to the next next town, the hotel, maybe you Google a gym, right? But you you are on the road indefinitely. You come home, you take your whole suitcase, you dump it in the washing machine, put it in the dryer, back in your suitcase, out the door again. Um, mm-hmm. I think these days maybe you have an extra day, but when we were on the road five days a week. You know, you you uh, you factor in that travel day. So we were home for a week, a day and a half, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. that's tough. When you're home for two and a half days and you're on the road for four days, that is uh, very doable, very comfortable. But mm-hmm. uh, like a, a, a consistent five days on the road is is tough, man. Mentally tough. Yeah. So it's not for everybody yeah. in terms of you know your mental fortitude. But of course, you have to become an actor, you have to become an MMA fighter, you have to become a professional wrestler in terms of the storytelling aspect, and you have to really have the personality, oh, bless you, you have to have the personality that is just naturally knows how to work well with others, mm-hmm. right? you can't be too fixated on your game plan, this is what I wanted to do, this is what we need to do, you have to listen, you have to give and take, you have to be really good at negotiating, if there's something you want to get in, you got to be willing to to give up something or put the guy over and, and working well with others. You know, it's a skill you learn as a, as like a small child like in kindergarten and stuff, or how to how to how to interact and work well with yeah. others. Yeah. But it, but it's an asset to be able to do that as well. Do you then, think? Did you think that 
I mean, did you ever run across somebody who was particularly hard to deal with for you? Or were you generally? No, if, if you're in the WWE, um, you wouldn't have got there if you were hard mm -hmm. to deal with. And, mm -hmm. and in, in most cases, I never had any problems with anybody. Uh, the, the only problem I had, maybe that someone that maybe didn't have the best psychology mm. and you, and you know, oh, okay, how am I going to make this match adhere towards the storytelling side of things? Mm. Um, and there's ways to do it. You know, there's ways to mm -hmm. say, oh, can, can we just do that here? It might, it might make it better, you know? Mm. Um, but no, I never had a problem where somebody was unwilling or, or didn't <laughs> want to do anything. And, and most of the times, cause I was very generous anyway, like mm -hmm. if it was a live event, you know, Santino's over with the Cobra, like mm -hmm. ninety nine percent of the time. So do what you want, man. I'm going over with the Cobra, right? So, right. Whatever you want to get in, whatever you want to do, no problem. I'll move out of the way of something, and I'll do a comeback and hit you with the Cobra. So everyone mm -hmm. was pretty cool with that because I'm going to give them tons, you know. Yeah. So you know, uh, a hot topic, obviously, right now, especially with the Survivor Series coming up in Chicago, <clears throat> CM Punk. Yeah. Uh, did you ever have any interactions with him? And, you know, <coughs> excuse me, did you ever think, um, you know, uh, what do you think about the idea of him coming back to WWE? Oh, man, I, I just hope he wrestles wherever it's going to be. Mm -hmm. If he comes to TNA, oh, my God, that'd be wicked. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah that's a rumor. I mean, I've heard that. The, the potentially yeah. he's been quartered. I've heard that, too. I don't know. I have to talk to Scott if it's if it's real. He said they haven't he said they haven't really been talking about it yet. But, uh, you know, they were seen somewhere, you know, having a bite to eat or something like that. But he would be an incredible asset, you know, because TNA obviously is trying to get back to the former glory days of that, of that you know, next level. Because the yeah. when TNA was on spike, the numbers they got are like current SmackDown numbers. Yeah. So TNA was huge. Yeah. Um, and obviously there's a new change of guard and they started from scratch and they had to – clean house and reformulate the game plan and start building it piece by piece. And like, it's amazing there. Everyone just happy. Everyone works hard. It's a young group. Um, they love being the underdog and they want to break through. They want to be a part of it when it breaks through. Yeah. You know what I mean? You want to get in that, in that company when the stocks are cheap, because if it blows up, you're going to be rich. <laughs> yeah. Well, so, that's a lot like a way it was back when impact really, you know, TNA started getting big. I mean, you had AJ styles and Samoa Joe and all these guys I worked. So I have, a, you know, I have my own ring and I did some work with TNA back. I think it was like 2009, 2010. It was when Bobby Roode had just went heel on James storm and became the champion. And I mean, literally like it was the next day after he turned on him and won the belt. And we did a show in San Francisco in Sacramento. And the thing that was so shocking to me was that they were so over. I mean, like, you know, and Samoa Joe, everyone knows these guys now, but like back then, you know, you know, AJ Styles, Samoa Joe, James Storm, these guys weren't really well known. But when they came through the crowd, the, they were so over. And they were also hungry. And they had guys like RVD and, and Bubba, you know, uh, uh, Bully Ray, you know, these guys helping. But those and, – and look where they all are now. You know what I mean? And it's cool to hear that that's kind of happening again. Where do you see yourself – I know you're working with TNA now. Where do you see yourself in that? Are you, do you consider yourself kind of an old guard trying to help these young guys out? Or how, what do you view yourself as? I mean – I do naturally. I don't wrestle that much anymore. <clears throat> I can still wrestle. Uh, you know, I wouldn't wrestle more than like six times a year for, for TNA, I imagine. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, you know, I'll, I'll take guys aside and say, hey, man, you know, that was awesome. That was awesome. One little thing, if you want to tweak and, and you know, everyone's pretty, pretty receptive to it. Mm -hmm. But uh, it's, it's an incredible group. Like, we know who we got. We know our guys. We know mm -hmm. that we can take this guy and put him up with anybody in the world. It's going to be a sick match. And we're the locker room is awesome. Man. It's awesome. Yeah. It really is. Like I'm trying to think of a guy like who, who's, uh, you know, let's say it's uh, Seth Rollins and we can put mm -hmm. tons of guys against Seth Rollins and have obviously Josh Alexander, um, you know, Frankie Kazarian, Alex Shelley's like insane. Yeah. Uh, Sabin, like those guys are been around forever. Mm -hmm. Uh, but but you know, look at the uh, ABC. You know, mm -hmm. um, rascals. Like I mean, these guys are incredible. Incredible. Yeah. 
You know, Alex Shelley, I got to say, so I met Alex Shelley. So I did a little thing with New Japan here right before New Japan kind of came to the United States. They were checking it out and they gave me a call. They flew into San Francisco and we did a show together and Alex Shelley was on the shows. And so was uh, Shinsuke Nakamura and Kushida. But yeah. I, I couldn't. I couldn't say enough nice things about Alex Shelley. Oh, he as a person, you mean? Yeah, like yeah, I mean, yeah, we, we exchange we exchanged phone numbers beforehand, like because you know the New Japan guys are like, you need to coordinate this with him, and so I texted with him. He had no idea who I was, you know what I mean, and was the nicest guy. Oh, he's Came the nicest in. guy. <laughs> yeah, he was the nice. He was kind of injured, didn't care, still did it. Like it was right when they started. I think he did the uh, he did the time splitters with Kushida. It like that was yeah. right when they were going to put that together. And uh, I mean, I like I said, I, all the New Japan guys that came through were all great. But I remember specifically walking away and saying, man, like, nicest guy. You know what I mean? Yeah, super and, nice. Yeah. He has a history of uh, he was a physiotherapist before. And he knew I had like I have some tennis elbow and I have a torn labrum. So every week, you know, we go to TV. He's always asking me you know, how, how the body parts are doing, how they're coming along. And he'll give me some extra exercises. So funny enough, I saw a 2004 and I was living in Japan. A buddy of mine, George Kiriaku, he was wrestling for zero one as mm. Jason Legend with the mask and the chainsaw and everything. Mm -hmm. And he pointed out Alex Shelley. And Alex Shelley, I didn't realize how young he was at the time. Because right now, oh, man, hold on. He's like 10 years younger than me. Mm -hmm. So he was like 20, give or take, like maybe 18, maybe 22. Mm. But my buddy was saying that guy is like, next level he's teaching all the japanese guys how to chain wrestle he's so smooth and so good and you know i didn't even meet him because i was watching over in cork and all and i saw him in the ring and i just knew who he was as he was like you know this this prodigy and 20 years later the yeah. guy's like you know he's the champ right it's it's amazing yeah that's yeah that's awesome <clears throat> who do you think are some of the younger guys in tna that you see being kind of the next crop of the guys you know well, I tell you, Will Ospreay is a is a, a free agent coming up soon, man. Yeah. And like, yeah, he can go to WWE and he'll get lots of money. But I don't know if he's that kind of guy. AEW too. Yeah. I mean, he's still young, man. That's the crazy thing. He, he's still super young. I hope he. I hope he considers. See, a lot of guys that have the potential. Someone like Will Ospreay and CM Punk, for example. If they know that they can help take the company to the next level, that is a huge feather in their cap. Not that I went mm -hmm. to already established company and, and made more money. <laughs> they have lots of money. But I yeah. think it's, it becomes about legacy sometimes. And mm -hmm. if they say, yeah, when I came there, now we're rivaling AEW. Yeah. And, you know, that that's huge, man. Like, that's a huge mm -hmm. thing to be able to say that you, you did that. So I yeah. hope I hope that appeals to them as much as I want it to appeal to them because I'd love yeah. to see what they can do. I'd love to say, hey guys, we're going to this stadium, like like jump to the next level of arena mm -hmm. instead of you know two thousand people. Let's let's get twelve thousand people. I think we could do it. We just yeah. got to get on a, 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 a bigger channel where we're mm -hmm. in more households. But with regards to product, and everyone says that you go online, you're like. Yeah, WWAW, they got the marketing machines, the superstars. But when you look at in-ring product, mm -hmm. TNA is right there, man. It's not, it's not better. Yeah. You know, it's interesting when you talk about that. There's a guy I know from around here. You know Timothy Thatcher? Yeah, you know? yeah. yeah. He's, he's the battle arts guy, man. Yeah, so, so – He has the battle arts hat. Yeah, so Tim uh, started out here in Sacramento. That's mm -hmm. where he trained. And his story is, I have so much respect for that guy. He's worked for me when I was promoting shows a few times. The thing that is so cool about him is he has a view of what wrestling is. Yep. And he will not bend. I don't know how many times WWE tried to sign him before he finally went to NXT. But he's like, no, I don't like the way you pursue. I don't like what you view. This is my wrestling. I feel it should yeah. be more real. You, yeah. I don't like your wrestling. And he uh, and he didn't he did not care how much money they threw at him. He wasn't going to do it until, you know, uh, well, uh, Walter. But now he's um, Gunther, Gunther, you know, Gunther and, and those guys all left. And then it was just him. And he's like, well, I guess I got to go, you know, and he was there for a little while. And uh, and so it just takes a certain type of guy that isn't motivated by the money and the fame. And yeah. so so tell me, like, what is it that you that 
motivates you in wrestling now? I mean, you've been there. Why are you still around? Why, why do you still want to do it? Um, man, I mean, so, but to touch on Timothy Sasha for a second. So I trained with Yuki Ishikawa at the original mm -hmm. Battle Arts in Japan, okay. a catch okay. wrestling shoot style. That's where I was in 04. And mm -hmm. I brought him in 2013. We opened Battle Arts Academy in mm -hmm. Mississauga. And Mr. Ishikawa came and coached there. So Tim Thatcher and Kratos, they came up and stayed with us for weeks just, just to train with uh, Ishikawa-san. Yeah, and, and and that was the style I want. If I could have my style, my style of wrestling would be work shoots. The whole yeah. show would be MMA fights. They'd look, you know, they'd be worked MMA fights. Of course, some storytelling in there as well. Yeah. You know, but you know, kicks and takedowns, and and uh, and everyone would have a ranking. This guy's number four in the division, fighting number five. The winner is going to fight number two, and if that guy wins, he might have a championship match. And it, it would all be like real, you know, more realistic. That's yeah. my style. Um, I don't know. Well, right now my daughter is in NXT. Mm -hmm. So I'd like to be around um, and do something with her one day. You know, just, just share the ring with my daughter, you know. Right, she's, right. I believe she's going to be a megastar in a couple of years. Um, that's one motivation. My other motivation, my daughter's 28. And mm. uh, I have also a five-year-old boy and a two-year-old girl. Oh, wow. And, yeah, and I kind of – I wrestled – Kind of want my son to get old enough to remember a match. Yeah. So I keep myself in shape and I train, and I want I want to have a I want to have a special moment in front of my son. Um, whether it's you know winning a title, winning a big match, just something that he's going to sit there and go, "Wow, that's my dad," you know. Yeah. And um, and just create that that core memory for him. Um, that, that, that's another motivating factor. Plus, you know what? I'm turning 50 in a few months, you know, and I was an athlete my entire life and, and having to accept the fact that, you, you know, you're losing a step and no more backflips and no more of this. And I, I was like a ninja, man. I was on a national judo team. I wrestled in university. Um, you know, I was, a, I was, a, I was a good athlete mm -hmm. and, um, you know, you, you want to just hold on to that, right? You want to sustain that. So you got to be smart with your training, lots of stretching, you know, cardio, diet, and and hopefully you can preserve its quality of life, right? You want to preserve yeah. that, preserve that ability as long as you can. And I think next year I'm going to try and make some history next year, and I'm going to go compete at a world championships in jujitsu for my age bracket and stuff. Oh man, that'd be awesome. That'd be yeah. so great. I think I, I feel. I, I can identify with everything you're saying because I, same thing. I mean, I played basketball. I did, you know, I did wrestling. I did all these different things. And, uh, and now, you know, I'm 42 and I, I still go to the gym six days a week and I'm still yeah. doing my cardio every day, stretching out, doing that stuff. But man, it's so different. I mean, you know, when you're back in your twenties, you could pretty much eat whatever you want. <laughs> not gonna wow. You know, now, now it's like, Whoppers. if I eat Jack in the box, I'm down for two days. You know what I mean? It's just, yeah, yeah. It, I used to eat Whoppers. It, and every time I, I, I always thought that Whoppers would add like, five pounds to my bench press, you know, like I used to play games with my head and, and I was strong too, man. I was a four or five bencher and a 500 pound deadlift, 450 squatter. I mean, for a, for a naturally, for a naturally yeah. 190 pound kind of guy. Um, That's impressive. Now I'm like, if I can do a push up pain free, I'm going <laughs> yeah. to get a good day, you know? Yeah, I know, man. As, as you get older, that Smith machine seems real And nice. Arnold <laughs> Schwarzenegger, uh, yeah, the Smith machine. <laughs> yeah. Schwarzenegger just talked about it too, man. He was like, you know, getting old and looking in the mirror and seeing your body look like shit sucks. Yeah. And he goes, and he goes most people, they look like shit their whole lives anyway, so it's not much of a, you right. know, degrade. Yeah. But uh, when he was revered for having one of the greatest physiques in the, of all time, so to, even for that guy to look in the mirror and see – Shit, it's kind of, yeah. Yeah. What I loved about that documentary he did, my favorite thing about it was him saying, there was never a day where I felt like I liked what my body looked like. And I just wow. was like so shocked by that. You know what I mean? Like he was just never satisfied. And that's probably what got him to where he was, you know? That's interesting because you can look at it and say, okay, I look good, but the outer calf can grow or yeah. okay, the, ha the hamstring's a little flat. But you can, 
hopefully he liked his physique at some point. Yeah, well, I think, I think, that's, probably, I think that's probably what he really meant, right? Was like, I was never satisfied with what I looked like, you know? I mean, that's interesting. You know, and I, and I identify another thing you said, you know, that's part of the reason why, you know, after 20 years of not really wrestling, um, and just focusing on my law career and all this stuff, my kids got old enough where I was telling them all the stories, but like, you know, they, they never saw it. And so I just actually Jeter's show that I did just a few weeks ago. Uh, my, my two youngest kids were in the crowd. Oh, no way. And, and so it was just kind of cool. Cause they were like, you know, I, cause I'm a heel. They? So they are 12 and 10 oh, and no, uh, okay. I have, no, I have no yeah, 17, uh, almost 15, 12 and 10. And they were there. Four, four kids. I do. I have four. Yeah. Oh, good for you, man. That's awesome. Yeah. That they are. This is my favorite time of life, quite frankly, just yep. because they're all so cool. You know what I mean? They're just yep. the coolest kids on the on the planet. But it was funny because I'm playing the heel. I'm. You can't see it on the video. I'm six foot seven, two eighty five. Right. And so You're six foot seven. I am. Yeah. I'm. Jesus yeah. Christ. If I was <laughs> right. six foot seven, I could have been a contender. <laughs> right. So. So. Uh, you know. Obviously, they. You know big man little man you know i worked with a smaller guy we, we did just like the whole work a body slam you know what i mean type yeah, of thing yeah. this guy that's all and, you need. Uh, yeah and so did the match and at intermission my kids come up to me and they're like my daughter said she goes it's just so funny because that just was not that's not who you are you know what i mean like, <laughs> yeah you know <laughs> and so it was it was fun but um but yeah so uh now with with the kids tell me you know, it's probably different for your daughter than it is for your two younger kids. Did that weigh on you while you were, you know, while you were out, you know, five days a week flying around yeah. everywhere? Does that was that a, a struggle for you? Yeah, very, very much so. I usually start crying in two seconds if I talk about it. But no, it was hard, man. I had to sit her down. She was eight years old. And I had to say, uh, I, I got to go on this mission, man. Mm -hmm. So my daughter was identified like, like a superstar. Mm -hmm. Really young. Everyone's like, this kid is destined to be something. We never heard anybody like this. And the, the outgoing personality and the it factor was already, you know, identified. Mm -hmm. And I had to sit her down and say, I got to go somewhere for like a year, like a year. Like, I'm sorry. But I said, this is, I got to get somewhere mm -hmm. so I can bring you there because you're the star. And uh, so I said, I can't, I don't know how to get to Hollywood. We're Canadian. I don't know what's it, but I'm good at this wrestling thing. And I think I can make it somewhere where I can kind of pull you up. And uh, we call it the 18-year plan because she got, she got signed at, at 26. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, I traveled the world. And uh, she came with me. She came to Japan for like a month. And she mm -hmm. came to Louisville for a month here and a month there. And, you know, she came on the road with me several times. And she's been to WrestleMania and SummerSlam and in the women's locker room when she was 13. I got to find that picture. They dressed her up. They dressed her up. And she kind of looks like she does now, but back then they put, you know, dresses and yeah. hair and everything. Um, and, and yeah, you know, we're, we're just standard family up here in Canada. My dad was in construction. My mom worked at the bank and, and we had to kind of break to that break, you know, forward. Our gen my generation was very, uh, forwarding for the family, so to speak. And, um, kind of reached a different, you know, level. And, and now we got to build upon that. I think she's going to be uh, an excellent ambassador to the WWE and, and also our, our family as well. But I had to, I had to do the, you know, lay the foundation for her to be able to, to do this. And it was hard, man. And anyone that was on the road with me at that time, you know, we always just talked about kids and just always talked about family and always, you know, looking at each other's phones and doing this and look how big they are now. And, and, yeah. um, and they had FaceTime. So when I got signed, let me think here, it would have been, Oh uh, six. So she was 11 when I got signed. Mm. Mm. And um, yeah. And then, you know, she was kind of in university when, when, uh, when my career ended. So, um, at least she wasn't a child, like a small child. Right. Like, and that's one of the things. I, I really don't want to be away from home as, as much as possible. Mm -hmm. uh, earlier, you, you, you mentioned, you know, if I took bookings and uh, yeah. I said, a, a couple, a little bit. Yeah. You know, if it's someone's willing to pay me a, a price that would be stupid if I didn't go. Yeah. But, 
no, I don't want to miss a second because I know how fast it goes. And it's yeah. even though I'm even though I'm conscious of it, even though I'm absorbing and soaking in every moment, it's still going fast. Like, how did my yeah. son just turn five? Like, what? Oh he, yeah, no he kidding. Two yesterday, you know. Yeah, I have a son right now. He's seventeen. He's he's a senior in high school, and it's just crazy to me because we're just you know we're Mormon, and so he's gonna you know he's gonna go on a mission and we were talking about it and I was like, Oh my gosh, we're at the point where we got to start like planning for that, you know? And I'm like, you're a year out from just being gone for two years, you know? And the mission is two years. Yeah. So you serve a mission for two years and Holy you just, you, and you don't know where you're going. The church just says, here's where you're going. You go for two years, you go and preach the gospel for two years and then you come back and wow. you know, there, and uh, I did it, you know, that's actually what happened to me. You know, I, I was training when I was 18 I had a plan to go to the wild Simone training center in, in Pennsylvania. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, you know, there was a girl that I was into who was also Mormon and she's like, I'm not going to marry anyone unless they go on a mission. I'm like, all right, I'll take two years off. I'll go do a mission. I'll come back. And then I didn't marry her. And, uh, and so, but like we, but we, you know, um, and that was the thing it, it completely changed my life. And, and that was actually, it was interesting because that two years really told me, cause I was thinking, I was like, all right, I'm going to get back into wrestling. But I started talking to people and I was like, you know, a family is important to me and hearing the people who were leaving, like having to go all the time. I was like, uh, you know, I don't know if that's the life I wanted. And there are times where I think about that. I think about, well, what if I would have done it? Maybe I could have made it. I mean, six foot seven, right? Maybe I could have made it. Maybe yeah, I did. Yeah. You know? um, but uh but no, I'm grateful for the way it went because now I get to share it with my kids. I get to be a part of the wrestling business. Like I promoted for a while. I did some really cool things with TNA and Lucha Libre USA, and, you know, New Japan and all that. But this is, you know, the, the time with your kids is so important. You know what I mean? Because it just disappears. And I, I'm at the point now it's hard for me because, you know, just five years ago, all these kids, the, the number one thing they could do was hang out with. Yeah, you know what I mean. And now my 17 year old just wants to go hang out with his friends. I know. And so I kind of take a bad, I take a back seat. You know what I mean? But that's you know, it's okay. It's part of life. And and it sounds like you have a good relationship with your oldest daughter. Oh yeah, yeah. We talk. We Facetime every day with her her little siblings, and because it's hard for her now. Because mm -hmm. when she moved to Orlando, my my daughter was born in uh, in July. My and my daughter left in August. Mm. So like she left a month after she was born, and you know, she was just home for Canadian Thanksgiving and we're going actually to Florida next week. But yeah, she's experiencing kind of what I experienced being away from her little sister. And, you know, sometimes during a FaceTime call, she'll get emotional because she's missing it, uh, seeing her in person and stuff. But it's almost like you have to pay those dues as well, not just in the business, but the, the suffering yeah. type, type of yeah. dues. I started wrestling late though. You were mentioning your age. I started wrestling training at 28. No, um, yeah. Yeah, you know, after university, teachers' college, and everything, uh, I had my first match at, at 29, which is like unheard of to right. me, because I, you know, some of my friends from the UK wrestling since they were 16. Yeah, and, and there's a reason I didn't. I'm pretty sure I would have messed it up when, uh, right. you know, I was too stupid in my 20s. I was just a maniac, and and mm -hmm. you know, yeah. But how how cool is it? Like, I just thinking about this. How cool is it that now you get to share this with your daughter? I mean, you've been yeah. there. Now she's she's been there. You now you're not now part of the wrestling family. You're 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 the Dusty Rhodes to a Cody Rhodes, you know, yeah, yeah, and, totally. or or a Ric Flair to a Charlotte Flair, you know. And yeah. um, is it is there anyone that you that you wish you could have worked with that you didn't? Uh, I would like to have like a maybe a singles match with Randy Orton just because he's like you know a really good friend of mine. Hello, <laughs> we always. You, like you know, we always talked about well, wrestling each other because we, we used to ride together. And there was one time we were in a battle royal together. And then ding, 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 and I started looking for him right away. And I was like, ah, you know, just messing with each other in the <laughs> ring. And, and, you know, he's trying to, like, don't, don't make me laugh, man. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it would have been good because he's, he's, like, he's so good, right? And, and oh, I he think is. he could have had, like, legitimately some really good matches and stuff. It's funny because if you know what to look for, what I find so amazing, I have such like, for example, the match that Roman Reigns had with uh, Sami Zayn in uh, in Montreal. Right. I think they were in Montreal. Yeah. Uh, right before WrestleMania. And um, 
what I found so amazing about that match is they didn't really do much. You know what yeah, I mean? Like yeah, they didn't, yeah. they, not, not a lot of flips, not a lot of, you know, anything like that, but they got over huge. And I was at the WrestleMania when Cody and Roman, you know, were there and, and the one where, uh, you know, Sammy and Kevin Owens won the, won the belts the night before and same deal. They didn't do anything special. I mean, you know what I mean? It was basic wrestling and got it over. And I just find that so interesting. And that was one thing I found about you too, was that you got the Cobra. Over. You know what I mean? It, yeah, like, yeah. You know, uh, which is just so, so uh, awesome. I do want to talk to you about one angle though, because I've always wondered about this. So you, I loved the Honka meeting when you were yeah. the Intercontinental champion. So I always thought like in my head, I was like, okay, so it would be great if Santino just kind of got right up to like the, the record and somehow honky tonk man was the one who stopped him from breaking the record. That was the actual plan. Okay. Yeah. That's what I wanted to ask. So what happened? Uh, somebody went in to God and Vince's ear. It just said that, you know, this is a prestigious title and it shouldn't be on a comedy guy and mm. convinced him really. Cause yeah. I, cause it was like, okay, for the honky meter for how long it was, it was like a few months. Yeah, it's like, like 12, 13 weeks, yeah. Yeah, and people come up to me to this day, and they're like, what the hell happened to the honka meter? Like, yeah. I'll, I'll do a convention or something. I'm like, dude, we thought it was going to go right till the end, and honky-tonk was going to come. And everyone loved the honka meter, like, disproportionately. Like, they loved yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> and the honka meter. And, uh, yeah, it came to a quick one day, like, yeah, you're losing the title on TV in Manchester. I'm like, what? What, the, what about the honka meter? And, yeah, he changed his mind. Yeah, that was that was such a bummer because that was so entertaining. You'd come in and say "honky donkey man," and I'd laugh every time you do it. And then, you know, you'd always pull it off. And I just remember one day, I like I knew you were going to lose it because you came in. You're like the honka mounty, like you turned it into this big long thing. And I was like, okay, they're obviously not going any farther with this. And I think that's the night you lost it. And it's just such a bummer because it was such a good angle. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Brian Gowertz was writing that at the time, and he he really got Santino. Man, he was there as I developed into this comedic character, and and when I'm reading something back, you know, a piece of paper, I'm dying. Oh my god, this is gonna be so good when I say it my way, mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, he him and I we had we had a really good uh, uh, some good chemistry with regards. And then sometimes like there'd be writers that. We're trying to write in my accent. I'm gonna tell you, uh, you mm -hmm. know, Beth Phoenix. She's a spicy meatball, and I'm like, who the hell wrote this? That's not. Where's Brian? Really? Where's Brian? Yeah, that's, yeah, this <laughs> is not. This is definitely not Brian. Yeah. Um, I'm like, just write it, and I'll bring it to life. Just, what do you want me to say? You, I'll let you do it. You, when you were doing promos, this is something that I've heard when I talk to some of the older old timers. You know, they they really rail on the like scripted promos and, uh, you know, you kind of probably came in at least at some point where they really wanted you to do scripted promos. How did you feel about that? Well, in, in the beginning, it was it was scripted. Mm. It was a, a piece of paper and, you know, it doesn't have to be verbatim, but stick to it. Uh -huh. And then, you know, it was like a continuum. Right. And then then it was uh, several points. Mm -hmm. And bring them to life, or and and then it was just point form. Like we want you to say this and go there. Mm -hmm. And uh, when I did, so, I, I did the thing with the condemned with Stone Cold Steve Austin. Uh -huh. They had a couple bullet points written down, but he did like just completely went off and <laughs> just started talking about his own thing. I go, oh, okay, I get it. He knows where he's going, so he uh -huh. can just do whatever the hell he wants because he's going to get where he needs to be. And uh, I just kept up with them, and I knew I was in good hands, so I didn't panic that we're not following the script or anything. But mm -hmm. uh, yeah, there's you know once they get uh, more and more uh, trust, then mm -hmm. then it's less script, and mm -hmm. and I think eventually you kind of say, like this is where we're going. How would you say this, or what would you do? They'll kind of come to you with with regards to how you'd get there. Yeah, man. That's just so cool. It's so it's so cool to hear. Like you obviously must have had a lot of fun while you were doing this. I did, you know, I really, I really did, and I was very conscious of the fact that you know, getting signed at thirty two 
at five for 10. I'm already kind of defying the odds. And, you know, the average career was, let's say, 3.6 years or whatever it was. I don't know exactly. But, um, you know, and once you pass that, I'm like, I was in bonus time. I was in, yeah. you know, I, and there was a bit of a culture of um, people that weren't happy, you know. Yeah. You know, oh, they're going with Cena. You know, I'm just a jobber or whatever. And I'm like, do you forget where you are? Yeah, like you are a professional wrestler for a living, and yeah. getting paid handsomely, and traveling mm -hmm. the world, like, yeah. and getting to be in front of thousands of people and kind of absorbing all that cheering energy. It's 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 people would pay to do that. Never yeah. mind, get paid to do that. People a lot of indie guys. Vacations. A lot of a lot of indie guys do pay to do that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. actually, yeah. one thing you said now, so. I coached for like 10 years, right? I, I Battle Arts Academy. I just stopped coaching um, uh, in the summer because it was 10 years. <laughs> yeah. But when people come to me and they go, you know, I, I want to be – some people say I want to wrestle in the indies. It, mm -hmm. Totally doable. Some people mm -hmm. say, no, I want to, you know, get to WWE or I'll consider myself a failure, that type of thing. They're, they're going to have a rough time. But people that have nine-to-five jobs, mm -hmm. whether they're single or married, and they go, you know what? I got my job. Life is good. I just love wrestling, and I want to go have fun on the weekends. Mm -hmm. Those guys have some of the best experiences in the business because mm -hmm. they're not starving. They're mm -hmm. not disappointed because they're not going to make it to, you know, Monday Night Raw. Mm -hmm. And they do, and they get to go and they get to wrestle in front of people, make people laugh, make people cheer. And it's a great way to enjoy uh, the wrestling business is someone that has a job and just does this because they love it. Yeah. It's definitely different for me now than it was when I was 18, you know, just because it's like, Hey, you know, any booking I get, I'm grateful for, you know, if I, and I just figure I'm like, Hey, if I ever got to do like an extra work somewhere, I would think that was awesome, but I don't need it. You know what I mean? Like that kind of thing. It's really yeah it's really kind of a different experience. It's, it's a lot of fun. I, I really enjoy what I'm doing now. Um, I have a few questions uh, that I ask everybody just kind of life questions. And I want to throw these out at you. Sure. Uh, first question is what would you consider to be your biggest success in life? Oh man. Uh, my biggest success in life. Uh, producing good children, you know, like yeah. Producing, yeah. producing good people into the world. I'd say yeah. is, is, uh, I mean, I got one and the other ones so far are going to be awesome people. Yeah. 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 Um, but yeah. I think that's one of them. I, I, I have a, a very grateful mindset and mm. I think that I can, I can, uh, that can rub off on people. Yeah. I, I have a lot of friends that call me for, advice and uh just because they like the way i see things and the way i look at life and stuff so uh helping people you know with the quality of their life would be another accomplishment yeah that's awesome i i same thing i get a lot of people who call me in a time when like they're uh, they're like they're struggling you know maybe their marriage didn't go right or you know they lost their job or something like that and it's always cool to be able to help people see that, Hey, you know, cause I, I've noticed this and you probably have too, you know, those, those dark times, you learn so much about yourself Yeah, and, I, and you always, I, at least for me, I feel like I've always come out better in one of those yeah. moments. Like, and, and, uh, and when you look back, they're actually the best memories. Yeah. Yeah. I think the coolest thing is, is when like, there's been some years where I had simultaneously the worst and best years of my life at the same time. You yeah. know what I mean? And you know, if you don't have that mindset of, okay, this is bad, but there's other things that are good, you might miss that. You know what I mean? Yeah, so. I had uh, my, my 2018 was the best and worst year of, uh, of my life as well. My brother passed, and a month later, my son was born. And then but earlier in the year, we heard our son's heartbeat, and I had to take my dog to the vet to get put down that day. And it was just like this crazy, yeah. you know, uh, pressing the gas and the brakes at the same time. and. Yeah. Yeah, definitely definitely crazy time 2018.
But real quick, what what is it about you? What is it that got you through that? Like, what was it that got you into those successes at the same time? Oh man, I, I you know perseverance, right? You have to have that that uh, that tough mindset. You really have to have yeah. a tough mindset. And so, for example, even you know, like when I for for wrestling, mm-hmm. I was all in. I mean, like all all in. I was living in the United States. I couldn't have a job there. I was living off my savings. And they just dwindled down to zero. The mm. day before I got signed, I ran out of money, all all money. Mm. And uh, I was 32 years old. I would have had to come home and parents' basement, reformulate a game plan. Uh, and, and my daughter's watching, right? And, and you want to be the person that she thinks you are. She thought I was a superstar, and I had to, I had to be that. I had to become that. To, to, you know, you can tell your kids one thing, but you have to show them, right? You have to yeah. show them. If you want to have them to have a good relationship, you have to have a good relationship in front of them. Instead yeah. of just saying, "No, you have to do this." No, no, watch, watch what I'm mm-hmm. doing. Mm-hmm. And um, I wanted my daughter to see that I, I was relentless in, in pursuing my my dreams. Um, I strategically came up with a game plan and, you know, on paper mm-hmm. and then had the discipline to, to carry it out. Mm-hmm. And then now she's doing the same thing, man. She had a plan. She stuck to the game plan. She had success and she's grinding and, um, she's in a different environment. The, the PC is a little different than OVW. Yeah, yeah definitely. Cause there's so yeah. many people there. There's like a hundred yeah. people. And, mm-hmm. you know, you don't know who they're talking about during production meetings, who they're going with. What are their actual thoughts on you? So it's a lot of, it's a lot of uh, your 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 mind can get the better of you if you if you let it, right? Yeah, I'm sure. Control, control your thoughts. Yeah, you know. But the thing is, is, even if you hadn't, like, let's say you didn't make it, right? I think that you still shown your daughter something really invaluable that you are willing to, you know, even if you failed, you gave it a shot. Because how many people are feel for fail fear of failure don't even try? You yeah, know, yeah, so, exactly. So, um, you know, you have a hard out in an hour. So I wanted to just, I'll, I'll ask you the last question. Um, and that is uh, uh, one day, you know, hopefully years and years away, you're going to pass away. There'll be a funeral and someone will give you a eulogy. What is the one thing you hope somebody would say about you in your eulogy? Oh, man, that I was always smiling. You know, yeah. that it was very hard to, I was a passionate person that was uh, packed with emotions all over the spectrum, right? I, I can lose my shit i can i can i can be determined i can be protective i can but most of the time you know my smile muscles are very strong i'm always i'm always smiling and i'm just enjoying this trip and this life you know it's uh i know it's it's that and especially because because my brother passing away like uh i just it's funny all the adventures i've been on in the world you know literally traveling the world and and putting on shows and having the greatest time ever the greatest times in my life are, are right now. So it's just like I was blessed from day one. Yeah. Just being born to my parents. Two, two, yeah. two. My parents are still together, you know, like yeah. being born in 1974, in in like when I was born, where I was born, to who I was whom I was born to. I don't know if that's the right way, whom. But uh <laughs> I mean it's been it's uh, I was super lucky, man. Yeah. Sometimes, you know, me, I've done very well for myself as an attorney and I've been able to do really cool things at a a certain level in wrestling. And, you know, this podcast is going really well. And sometimes, I mean, I'm sure you can, I just pinch myself because I'm like, I have, I'm blessed way above my measure. Like I don't deserve necessarily everything that's happened to me, but I'm grateful it did. And, you know, what you said, I think the most important thing, a great reflection on you is your kids and the fact that you were able to grow great people. And you know, my kids are my favorite people in life. And it sounds like based on this, that they're your favorite people too. And I think that's really awesome. So uh, I got to tell you, this has been a, an absolute treat to be able to sit here and talk with you and just, you know, shoot the ball with, with one of my favorites and, and learn from you. Uh, anyone who's listened to this really, uh, appreciate it. Subscribe. we got a bunch of other stuff coming up. Um, exciting things. And, uh, Santino really appreciate your time coming in. Is there anything that you want to tell anybody, 
you know, to kind of wrap up uh, any words of wisdom from the wonderful Santino Morella? Oh, man. Words of wisdom. I don't know. Just, you know, be kind to one another. And uh, the easy way is not the best way, you know. Oh, that's so true. I think sometimes we have to take a step back and, and uh, I think we killed ourselves a little bit by, by um, the quest for convenience, you know, mm -hmm. it was, it's not what we need, man. So do things sometimes the old fashioned way, get outdoors, do, you know, do all that, you know, fresh air and go for walks and grounding and exercise and eat healthy and re really make food a priority in your life. Like, you know, quality food and, if you have to meditate, meditate, but um, your mood isn't really important. Your mood is life, right? If you're in a bad mood all the time, you have a bad life. I don't care what, how much money you have in the bank. If you're in a bad mood all the time, you have a bad life. If you have a yeah. good, if you're in a good mood all the time, you have a good life. Yeah. So really focus on on the things that help you uh, stay in a in a good mood. Yeah, absolutely. Appreciate your time, Santino. Let's do this again sometime. Anytime. Love. Yeah. Thank you, man. I, I like talking with, uh, seem like we're like-minded people. <laughs> yeah, definitely. All right. We'll talk to you guys later.